Welcome back to Aural Mess, a music podcast where we talk about all things music. My guest this week is New York City-based recording artist Carly Shea. Carly and I talk about her new single, Steely Dan, and more. Hello, and welcome back to Oral Mess. This is our third episode. I'm joined today by a recording artist, Carly Shea. Hi, Carly. Hey, how's it going? Good, thanks. Why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, and we'll jump in from there. Yeah, sure. So my name is Carly Shea. I am a New York City-based recording artist, kind of delving in between the world of pop, like R&B sort of space. And yeah, I've been releasing records pretty inconsistently, but my most recent record, uh, Problems, is out, and I'm putting out a lot more this year. And when I'm not working on tunes, I work as a modeling agent. So that's kind of my like day life, night life in a nutshell. Ah, super cool. Yeah, I saw, I mean, obviously I got to know your music after I we, we connected on Instagram, and um, I love your song, Problems, by the way. It's, it's on, on my current playlist, and um, the video is really cool. Why don't you tell me about filming the video and sort of the concept? I mean, I, I kind of get it, but I want to hear, hear it from you. Yeah, so Problems was a song that I had recorded like quite a long time ago. So at the time I was working kind of more on, I would say like pop, pop space. The stuff I was writing wasn't really coming coming from me. And I decided to kind of write more of the sound that I listened to. And um, Problems, I guess, was more R&B leaning. And the video was probably like the first bigger production video that I was able to do. Um, I had linked up with a director who wants to be anonymous, but he basically created this uh, treatment in advance. So the whole concept, spoiler alert, is it's about the problems and the internal conflict and how they come to get you. So, you know, you can go ahead and watch it, but there's a plot twist at the end that kind of encompasses how, you know, a lot of the times you think the problems are external, but they're really internal. So the video we shot, you know, a lot of it was on the low, can't say we had permits for everything, but we <laughs> lent a car and we were driving in Brooklyn and they, they did like a crazy draw, job of rigging this car up with this camera. Like they had these like, it was kind of makeshift suction cups so we could film the front of the car so we could catch the action between me and the uh, shadow driver. And then they had a gimbal in the center of the car. So there were some tricky shots we had to get. Um most notably, there is a scene at the end where I, you know, there's a car crash and I have to run out of the car. And this was done on one take because uh, the way it was shot was I had to run out. The camera didn't capture me running, of course. And then I had to be in the driver's seat. So it looked as though I was both the passenger and the driver, which we did like 10 takes of. And it was excruciatingly cold out. And I was wearing... It cropped up and it hurt a lot, but they say art hurts. So that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, that was pretty much the process. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And I think that the, the the mood of the video kind of fits the vibe of the song. So it's 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 great. Just, you know, and I'll link it in the, the show uh, notes yeah. when we're done. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So tell me a bit about, you know, how you approach writing songs. I know you said you've been inconsistent um, and you're, you've got yeah. some stuff coming in. So like, you know, when and how do you get inspired to write? And I guess, you know, what sort of things do you, what, what sort of things inspire you, I guess? And, and how do you go about getting those from, from your brain into the, the microphone? Um, I feel like 
it's usually when I'm sitting in my apartment at like one in the morning and I'm just like, I got a lot on my mind, you know, or if I make myself sit down and try to write, sometimes I'll listen to tracks over and over and over again to kind of find the stem or like the notes where I'm resonating with the music and I'll kind of go from there. Um, You know, I, I find it easier to kind of just write in the moment, which means that my inspiration is a bit more sporadic because I don't always feel inspired. You know, it's, it's tough. Like I'm not a full-time, full-time musician. So to be creatively inspired, I think you really need to push yourself to have different experiences and be able to bring those to your writing. So for me, like, unless I'm going through something big, like I have to really push myself to, to listen to songs that will create melody and, and lyric ideas in my head. I mean, on occasion, like, I've had specific situations and scenarios like with problems. I was going through a bit of a, let's call it a situationship uh, where it ended in a way where I needed to write. It was therapy. And I think a lot of the upcoming songs we're going to be releasing are in that realm. Like they're, it's therapeutic to write music. That's really the number one for me. Um, you know, I, I find that my music tends to be a little bit heavier and not like party club music just because I find it hard getting into that character space of you know I'm not like a big like party girl like that's just not my life but I'm a very like emotional heavy person so I feel like when I can put that in a song it can sometimes close an emotional chapter for me I know that sounded really dramatic, but that's kind of what <laughs> <laughs> what the what the process is like. And then there's the technicalities of working with different producers and the back and forth of of that. I mean, I do a little bit of basic production myself, but I've been very lucky to be connected with um, some great producers. Um, specifically, uh, there is this wonderful, talented musician, Jedediah Alcock, based in the UK, and I've been working with him on a lot of tracks. And then, uh, yeah, so we're going to have a lot more coming out soon. Oh, that's great. I I'm, yeah. can't wait to hear what you've, what you've got coming out. Um, so how do you get an initial sketch of a song down? Do you just fire up your laptop and record a vocal? Or do you do like a, you know, a rhythm track? Or do you play any instruments yourself? Like how, how does that all fit together? Yeah, so I do a little bit of rough piano sketches um, for basic chords, but Oftentimes when it's an idea that I have in my head, I'm just whipping out the voice notes and I'm old school. So I need pen and paper. Otherwise, I can't really feel that it's, you know, that it's real. So, um, yeah, for an initial melody, I'll use my phone. And then if I want to really sketch out a song, um, you know, I'll write out pretty much a verse, chorus, bridge, whatever, and then I'll send it over to whoever I'm working with. They'll send it back, a bit of ping pong, and then eventually we'll get the final track. Um, yeah, and in the studio, of course, like a lot of my music has vocal layering and and harmonies. And I've been very lucky that my studio engineer is very, very, very skilled at um, suggesting the best harmonies to, to stack. So I think that's what kind of brings it all to life. That's great. So it's like a group effort and... A little bit of a creative input from the engineering people and the producer. Yeah. That's how it works. That's how it fits all together and makes great sense. Yeah. yeah it, it's like a symbiotic process, I would say. Sure. 
So who are some of your favorite artists and, you know, what are some of your favorite songs, I guess? And, you know, where do you, where do you get musical inspiration from besides the life stuff, the, the heavy stuff? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, besides all that, I, well, obviously Steely Dan. Um, I know I can talk a lot about that, but besides from Steely Dan, I would say kind of in that world, I don't know if this term is like a, a term that people look down upon in the Steely Dan community, but like Yacht Rock. I like that style and, and flavor of music. Yeah. So um, Pages is incredible. If you don't know Pages, check them out. They were around that time period. Uh, Beard and Barnes is amazing. I love Hollow Notes. Seen them many times. Uh, Jamiroquai. Love, love, love Jamiroquai. Um, that was probably the best concert I've ever been to before. And, um, yeah, I listen to, like, a lot of, like, hip-hop as well. Um, I love Slum Village, Lupe Fiasco. Um, there's just so many great artists out there. So it's kind of all over the place, I would say. Um, what about you? What, what's your kind of, like, jam of the moment? Jam of the moment. Um, well, believe it or not, let me pull up the playlist. Like, I can never think of the name of the artist. Sorry, I'm looking around my camera. No worries. I'm also going to like cheat and pull this up because <laughs> I have the memory of a snail. Um, okay. I'm trying a new camera setup today. And like I have my tripod in front of like half of my screen so I can see you, but I can't see anything else. So I oh, I got like, you. Figure this out. Yeah, I'm just this is the third episode. And I'm still getting the, the tech nailed down. Um. So believe it or not, there's a, well, not believe it or not, but there's a song called Kill a Shit Funk by Black Caviar. Oh, I've heard of Black Caviar. How would you describe the music? Um, it's it's typical current hip hop, but it's just that that song is just so catchy. Um, it, it really got me. There's a song called Edamame by, I'm not sure how to say it. It's B-B-N-O dollar sign with Rich Brian. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. No, no. Um, it was on a show that I was watching and I literally like rewound the show like three times to hear the song because I was like, oh, I like this. And then I finally just shazammed it and was like, all right, you know, put it on my playlist. Those are two. Um, I got back into some older hip hop stuff recently. So I've been mm -hmm. playing a lot of Tribe Called Quest, a lot of Black Enemy. Mm -hmm. um, what else? Uh, Jam of the moment, going to the yacht rock side of things. And by the way, you know the Steely Dan community can be a little bit snobbish and and petty. That's why, like, um, I was honestly like excited <laughs> to be on here with you, but I was like, they're going to eat me alive. <laughs> no, 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 I won't let them. No, no hate here. Okay, um, cool, cool. Looks, all positive vibes. Yes, all positive. Okay. <laughs> I consider Steely Dan to be yacht rock adjacent. You know, I don't, I don't really okay. find them to be yacht rock, um, but they're in that same camp. And I don't know if you've ever seen the the Yacht Rock, like the web series. There's like 10 episodes on YouTube. I've, yeah, I've seen a little bit. Yeah. yeah so they, they kind of get lumped into that world, but they're sort of off on the side, I guess. And, um, you know. Uh, yeah. It's musically it's, so complex. Like, I know it, it's kind of like sacrilege to stack them up against. Like, I don't want to, you know, shit talk <laughs> anyone, but like Toto and Sticks. But also, can I curse on here? I don't even know. You can curse um, on it. You can curse all you want. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, I know they're very complex and yeah, but I know, I don't know. I feel like the first Steely Dan fan I met outside of my dad who introduced me to Steely Dan was definitely like the ultimate like Steely Dan slash generally snob snob. But I was introduced to so much from that person. I was like, wow, they have a right to to feel this way about the music because it is just so rich and so complex. Um but yeah, no, it sounds like your playlist has some some good jams on there. 
Yeah, and I'll I'll link that in, in the comments as well. I'll send you a copy offline so you can take a look. Um, cool. You know, what I've been doing, and I was telling my, my guest last week the same thing, is I've been keeping like this sort of just holding tank, I call it, of a playlist. So mm-hmm. as I come across new songs, as I'm recommended things, as Spotify shows me new stuff or, you know, whatever, um, I'll just drop it in there, you know, listen to it. And then eventually the, the stuff. Okay. And then the stuff that I like that I want to keep, I'll move into like a permanent playlist and I just have a series of those. And every time it gets to like 200, 250 songs, I'll just start a new one so they don't get too unwieldy. Um, So there's the most random ass playlists ever. (laughs) Yeah, you have like Steal It In and then you have Britney Spears and probably like a whole mix (laughs) showing up in there at the gym running fast. Yeah, no, it's good. I feel like it's interesting too, like when you make a playlist within a short time span to see how it progresses because i feel like you can kind of track like where you're at like you know what i mean like whatever the vibe that you're going through in that time like if you're feeling if you're going through like some angsty days and it's just like stained nickelback all this stuff (laughs) you can tell that this you know january whatever 10th through 12th was a rough time um yeah i i love playlists though so (laughs) yeah i also collect cds so that's my oh, big nice. thing is I am a, I'm like looking at my collection right now and that's my my bread and butter passion is I just collect a lot of CDs. I use it. I still have my CD collection. It's it's tucked away, um, you know, because I, I digitized everything and mm. put everything into those zipper yeah. folders years ago and stuff. But um yeah, I also used to collect, but I'm I'm definitely a playlist hoarder. Um, mm-hmm. I've got maybe 120, 130 playlists on Spotify Ooh. since I yeah. And same thing, like you know, I'll I'll do kind of the point in time ones, like what I'm listening to currently, and then other times I'll sit and deliberately make playlists based on a mood or yeah. you know an artist or whatever. So yeah, lots of them. But yeah, it's always fun to go back and look at the ones that you made, you know, a year ago, five years ago, whatever, and be like, wow. Yeah. Or you ever look at those like time capsules where they'll suggest to you like three years ago, you were jamming out to the internet and you're like, yeah, I was. And then it kind of brings them back in your rotation. And sometimes the music can have like a new, yeah, a new meaning to you or a new, uh, a new sound just based on time that's passed. So, yeah, yeah definitely. So the playlist that you sent me, and thank you, by the way, that was sure. that was uh, I went a little overboard, um, honestly. <laughs> there's, you can never go overboard on a playlist as far as I'm okay. concerned. Cool. Um, a lot of good stuff on there. So Prefab Sprout. Yeah. It's a bit of an obscure band. So how do you know yeah. them? And you know what, what are some other songs? I think you put um, Looking for Atlantis on the playlist, but what are some yeah. of the other songs by that? Um, so I don't actually remember how I found them. Oh, probably. So, you know, as a giant music nerd um, and current music nerd but back in high school i would just spend hours on youtube just getting in a rabbit hole like suggested video after suggested video googling keywords finding like just things that you would never normally find and i think that's how i found them um yeah i love i mean i'm probably more surface level fan like i really love cruel um looking for atlantis is just such a feel-good jam i love that one um Cruel, Looking for Atlantis, Appetite. Um, I know I have, oh, All the World Loves Lovers. I feel like that one is such a beautiful, beautiful track. Like, I don't know. Are there a lot of covers of Prefab songs? Like, I don't really know of any Prefab covers by No, I haven't heard a lot, actually. 
Yeah, which is kind of weird because I feel like their music, even though it's a bit off kilter, like it's generally pretty accessible, I would say, and and poppy. Um, But what about you? How did you find Prefab and what's your Prefab jams? Wow. So how did I find Prefab? Um, Set the time machine for 1990. Okay. Got it. Um, Yeah. uh, A friend of mine, a couple friends of mine that were, um, I I used to, I grew up in Atlantic City in South Jersey. Okay. And um, there were few people that had come in from Ireland for the summer and that I met and was friendly with. And the one guy, um, his name was Donal. And he was just like, he was so into all kinds of music and just turned me on to so many good bands. So, um, you know, he would lend me cassettes of Prefab Sprout, The Laws. Um, the Laws. Yeah. Do you know the song, There She Goes? Oh, no, maybe I don't. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, Wait, six, that's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sixpence, none the rich. Is that... Yeah, of course yeah, I know that that's song. That, 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 that's the cover, Jeez. right? So the the Laws uh, is the, the original version. And that album, really? they only had one album. It was it was one of those brilliant bands that just, you know, came out with this masterpiece and then kind of just went away. Um, Interesting. I'm, like, so, putting that down so I have that. Cool. Yeah, for sure. It's the... I, I like the original better than the cover. I know a lot of people would disagree, but uh, yeah. yeah, so that was another band. But Prefab was one of the ones he turned me on to. And, um, you know, the first couple of albums. So, you know, he made me copies of, of their cassettes and stuff. And I just became yeah. obsessed with them. And then, you know, I followed their new releases through the next few years. And then, you know, I think 2001, 2003 was maybe the last thing they put out. Mm, okay. Uh, my favorite Prefab Sprout song is Hands Down Bonnie off mm. of Steve McQueen. I feel like I've heard that one. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, when did they, are they they're not still active, are they? No, no. no. Patty McAloon has the, oh. the, the guy who basically writes all the music and he was the lead singer. Um, he had some sort of vision problem and right. you know, he's basically almost blind, I think. And he's got some other stuff going on health wise. So I think he, you know, he recorded kind of like a solo album even though he put it out under the prefab sprout name and it's called i troll the megahertz and mm. it's sort of just an atmospheric album mostly instrumental it's gorgeous um but that was the last thing he did and that was i think you know early 2000s maybe oh wow okay hmm. i always wonder when that happens when you have an artist and you know they've released a lot of stuff and then they just kind of taper off like i was um I, do you know remy shand at all uh sounds familiar yeah, so he was I I had come across one of his tracks like a long time ago. He had only released one album. Um and incredible album. It was released through Motown. I want to say can I cheat? I think it was like 2003. Sure. Let me see. Remy Shan album. It was so good. Um so 2002, I was close. So yeah, Canadian singer, really, really incredible. Um, Rocksteady has just been on heavy rotation. And, you know, when you try to figure out what happened after that release, like, it, there's there's nothing. There's no information as to where he went, why he disappeared. You'll get some, like, niche YouTube channels trying to uncover, like, where did Remy Shan go? But it's just always so bizarre when, like, I don't know, when there's, like, a masterpiece. And I guess it's all too common um, and that's part of why I love crate digging is because a lot of the stuff that I find is not digitized and I get the, the, the jackets and I get to read the stories and the credits. And then when you look it up, it's like, there's no, there's no trace and 
it feels like this mystery I want to uncover and it it's like a little bittersweet, you know? Yeah. Oh, it's definitely a bittersweet, but it's, it's so fun discovering something and feeling like you're part of the secret club of like, yeah. you know, maybe the, 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 the hundred people in the world that have ever heard this album. And, and like you said, like sort of looking it up and trying to see if you can trace what happened or where the artist went. And a lot of times it's just a dead end, but it's like a detective. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And sometimes they like evolve, like with pages. I think they, they ended up turning into Mr. Mr. And I would have yeah. never guessed because like no hate on Mr. Mr. fans, but I really don't like Mr. Mr. But I love pages. And I'm like, why were you that not more commercially successful than Mr. Mr.? I guess we'll never know. Um, yeah. yeah, but there's there's some really great finds out there for sure. So what are some of your favorite? I know we said we talk about New York later, but I know you're in New York City and, yeah. um, you know, I'm, I'm there a few days a week for work, but I don't, I don't get to hang out in, in the cities nearly as much as I'd like to. But what are some good places to go? Like, where do you find records and, you know, what are your favorite little hole in the wall record shops? So it's really weird because I don't really like get my records as much here as I do or my CDs as much as I do when I travel um, because I kind of like to tie getting CDs to wherever I visit Um, but I know I'm gonna butcher this this is so embarrassing but there's a store in the West Village yeah it is the West Village it's got a red awning this is so embarrassing I can't remember the name I think it's like Village CDs and something or other Um, Academy Records is really cool as well if you've been to academy um i feel like the strand isn't a cool answer but sometimes i'll go to the strand in union square which if you don't know what the strand is it's like a massive bookstore it is local so you know um support local but yeah that's that's where i'll get my cds um and then honestly like sometimes i'll just go into a thrift store like the other day i was hanging out with my friend in queens and we were just curious. We hopped into, I think it was like a Goodwill or something. She was just like looking around. And there's some incredible CD finds. Like if you're willing to look through bins of potentially hazardous CD covers, you will potentially find like a great CD. Um, so I'd say some of my stuff is from there as well. Um, but I love, like I was just in LA and I get a lot of CDs from Amoeba. Like if you have, have you been to Amoeba in LA? No, but I've, I've heard of them. Yeah. Amoeba is like top tier. Like it's it's just like the amount of uh, inventory they have and the staff is just so knowledgeable. So I love going to Amoeba and um, yeah, I'd say like combo thrifting and, and all that stuff. So do you collect records or you, you just... Yeah, I just started. So, um, you know, I, I'm old enough that I lived through the first vinyl uh, era. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and all of my early music was all on vinyl as a kid. And even, you know, into my uh, tween years, I guess, and before everything became CDs. Yeah. Um, but I, I had sort of been avoiding the vinyl thing just because I was like, you know, what am I going to do? And I don't have a turntable. I don't even have a proper stereo system. Yeah. Um, but then the bug kind of hit me and some bands that I really love started to do reissues on vinyl that mm. you know, things that probably hadn't been available and may not be available again. So I was like, okay, it's time, you know? Yeah. Um, the first one that I purchased was, um, there's a Dutch alternative band called Betty Servert. I'm not, no, I'm not heard of them, no. I will have to link you up with some of their Please. stuff or throw yeah. on the playlist. Yeah, they're they're fabulous. They they came out in the very early nineties and I think they were on some pop. So they were sort of in the same vein as like um Pixies, Buffalo Tom, like that kind of 
you know, um, circle of, of bands that were all from, it's weird. Like all the other bands were kind of from the Boston area, but then they were, um, from the Netherlands and they just ended up coming over here and getting signed and, you know, whatever. Interesting. Um, so they re-released their first album on orange vinyl. Um, and it came with a bonus seven inch with like a remix or, or an alternate take of, of one of their songs it's kind of bundled in. So I was like, all right, I have to get it. Yeah. How was that bonus track? Was it everything you wanted and more? Like you said, I it was a chance track. to hear it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You got to play it after, you know, after the show. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I need to get the turntable going. That's, that's the problem. That's, that's the number table. one thing is I guess you can't play without yes. the turntable. <laughs> so yeah. That's going to come soon. Yeah. Uh, yeah how are you? Have some with finding equipment, like, are you very specific? Like, how do you decide what is going to be the best console for you and the best equipment? Um, Great question. There's a couple of YouTube channels that I've been watching. There's, um, I think the one guy's channel is called Cheap Audio Man. <laughs> Cheap Audio Man. Okay. Yeah. And he goes through all the different components and speakers and turntables and, you know, all the amplifiers and stuff and just sort of, yeah. you know, and he does these great videos where it's like, okay, best system under 500 bucks, best system under a thousand bucks kind of thing. And, and okay. go through and tell you the pros and cons of all these different things. So, I think that's what I'm going to end up doing. I'm probably just going to build a, an inexpensive, um, you know, separate um, stack, you know, like a, just yeah. a small amp and, and, a, and a DAC. And, you know, I want to spend more money on the turntable and the speakers. I think that's where you get the most bang for the buck in terms of sound quality. Um, yeah. I just have to, you know, like I said, I was just sort of figuring out my setup for today again. And, you know. No, it looks great. Back and I mean, forth. Uh, you know. Yeah, I feel like thanks. it's. You find it like I don't know in, in an apartment in New York City. I was just like, huh? Huh? like it's it's very hard to find like space that makes sense. Like it is it is not living super big out here, so <laughs> limited limited space. Yeah, yeah. No, I hear that. So yeah, I just have to rearrange my office slash you know now podcast studio a little bit yeah. and make room for 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 the audio stuff. We'll do that pretty soon. So then I picked up. Um, uh, there's another band from the '90s that I'm, I love called Marvelous Three. That sounds very familiar, but I, I don't know a specific song from them. What they had one them huge hit. I think it was '97 or '98 and or '99 even, and it was called Freak of the Week. So another one you should check out. Okay. Yeah, it's Butch Walker. Work, yeah, Butch Do you Walker. Know Butch Walker at all? Okay. No, I don't. It was basically his band. It's it's a, a trio, and Butch went on to have a solo career, and and he just became like this really sought after producer. He worked with like Avril Lavigne. Oh. Um, uh, I can't think of the other couple, couple bands that he worked with, but um, you know, he did a lot of sort of behind the scenes production over the years. But Marvelous Three finally got back together after um, like twenty something year hiatus, and they put a new album out, and it's it's just great. So I ordered. The reissue of um, the first album, or the second, it's really their second album, but it was their first commercial release, really. And then um, I got the, the new album on vinyl as well. Oh, nice. And of course, when the Celia Dan stuff started coming out again last year, yeah, um, I got Asia and Gaucho, and I got the Northeast Corridor album because it was on sale for like 15 bucks or something. So I was like, sure, I'll pick that up too. That's so cool. I was debating like, wearing my Asia sweatshirt, which I got most recently on the Steely and Eagles tour, but it would have looked too they didn't have the right sizes. I only was left with a large, so but it's very comfy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Where did you see them? Well, I've seen Steely Dan probably not like as many times as I'd like, but I think it's been like three three times. 
Uh, I saw them, or maybe four times, I think twice at the Beacon, um, which is pretty close to where I am. And it's it's a pretty good venue, I'd say. Um, I saw them once in like, God, I can't remember the name of the town, but I do remember like having to take like uh, some kind of transit up there. It was like upstate New York, very tiny theater, like very, very small theater. This was maybe like two years back. Um, and gosh, well, I'm, my memory is like so bad, but it was, I know what you're talking about. I can't think of what I mean, but I I know, I know this. Yeah. And the opener I had seen, um, rather recently at at Blue Note, who, whose name I cannot remember as well, but it was like a, a pianist and it was very nice. And most recently I saw them on the, the tour with the Eagles, which honestly was a little disheartening, not because of, did, did you go to that show? The, yeah. yeah it wasn't of course because of steely dan but it was because I, first off i'm like why are they opening you know i'm like it made me sad that they were not headlining and i was like putting myself in like tall vegan shoes and i was like what must he be feeling and, and all this stuff and then i just i don't know the crowd nobody was standing up like i was just me it was me and like one guy with a hot dog a couple rows next to me just like up there just like you know chairman and um yeah and it was a dead crowd and i kept turning around and it, it was a weird feeling i mean I, you know i guess you don't need a big crowd to appreciate and bring to life a concert but it was just probably like my least favorite steely dan concert and and the eagles are great too i'm i'm not a big eagles fan but i appreciated that as well like i didn't go for the eagles i went for steely dan yeah sure and i i get it i mean i think a lot of steely dan's fans are just getting old (laughs) yeah i feel like (laughs) they want to sit down for the the couple hours and you know not get up and and dance and stuff so i I kind of get it but yeah i I got the same review from a few other people that, that went to the yeah, stuff and just said you know it was fine you know they played the hits for 45 minutes or whatever and you know it was just kind of low energy but it was it was still yeah it was still steely dan right yeah so. it was still them it was just yeah i don't know it's also this is kind of weird to say because i'm sure they had the same um you know rigging set up as the eagles but just the the way that the sound was translating to me didn't it, it didn't sound as good as for example in the beacon it was just kind of like I don't want to say tinny, but everything did feel very like I don't know how to describe it. Like it just didn't sound as present as I would have liked it to have been, which is no fault of Steely Dan's own. But um, yeah, I hope I'm hoping they'll come back again. Like I, it seems like they'll never stop touring. Do you think they'll ever they'll ever throw in the towel or? I don't know. I mean, you know, there was a little bit of a health scare from from Donald Fagan a couple months ago, but I think he's he's fine now. They said he was in the hospital for some unspecified illness, but I guess he's okay and you know he's back on the road. But I really hope he has at least one more full Steely Dan tour in him because you know I I chose not to go see him with the Eagles. I'm kind of kicking myself. I really wish I did now, but. You know, I'm a little bit of a music snob. I'm not a big live music person because, um, you know, part of the reason that you mentioned, like sometimes the sound quality is not just great. And yeah, I would have really wanted to have really good seats if I was going to go see them. Um, and as you know, they were like super expensive. I mean, you know, they were so. I mean, like, yeah, hours. it it costs like an arm and a leg. But I was I was down pretty close without my arm and leg just to you know see them. But it was expensive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, for sure. So I just, you know, and did you see him at the garden? Is that where you went? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I did. Yeah. Yeah. The sound in the garden. I mean, it's, I've been there a bunch great. of times and it's Who've never great. the garden? Who have you seen there? Uh, I saw Billy Joel there a few times. Yeah. Um, I saw him once. Yeah. And um, as fantastic as he is and as, as great as his band is, the sound quality just wasn't fabulous. Yeah. You know, it was, it was, eh, it was pretty good. So, you know, there's that. Um, but yeah, I really hope that they come around, Steely Dan, and do one more tour with with just them. You know, and I, really, yeah. I never got to see them live um, when, well, I've never seen them live, period. But, you know, I'm when really Walter, sad yeah. that I didn't get to go when Walter was still alive. So I feel like it's just not the same, you know. Did you did you ever get, I guess, from like fellow, I assume you have like a Steely Dan friendship fan community. <laughs> um, <Yes>. But <laughs> Of your friends who um, who've seen them when Walter was alive, did and have seen them now, what are the like? How do they describe the performance was different? I mean, was it? I mean, what was the biggest takeaway from them? Would you say? I think it's Walter's presence. You know, he yeah. used to just be more. You know, Fagan doesn't really talk to the <laughs> crowd. He'll he'll do a little bit of patter in between songs here and there. But you know, Walter would be the one introducing the band and. Um, you know, he would just do like this sort of, they, they called them the, the Hey 19 raps, right? So during the, the, the bridge section in Hey 19, he would just sort of go off on these spoken tangents for like, you know, five, 10 minutes. And they were hilarious a lot of times. And sometimes they were just completely, you know, out in the middle of that field, but still funny, you know, it's yeah. still great. So I think it was just, he brought maybe a little more of the showmanship. And I think he was always the more outspoken, you know, or, or stage presence one mm-hmm. um, and, and the band in the later years. So I think that's the big difference. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Cause, cause I, I guess I need to do a little more research. Like I, I have the songs that I'm very passionate about, but when I look at the history, like there's clearly a very storied history with them. And I guess I, I didn't know too much about Walter and cause I guess my experience of having seen them live and having really got into them was, you know, mostly focused on Donald Fagan, but yeah, it seems like they were two peas in a pod. So Oh, yeah. They, they said that they were like one brain, you know, I mean, they just literally had like uh, almost like an unspoken language between the two of them and they yeah. would just crack each other up and nobody else would know what they were talking about, you know, that sort of thing. So right, right. it's kind of funny. No, so that's what awesome. are the Steely Dan songs that you're passionate about since you mentioned that? Well, my favorite favorite is I love Deacon Blues. I think it's just such an epic song. Like, it's just so beautiful. The sax solo. um, I guess unless there's some kind of like secret Bible that describes what every Steely Dan song means, like I don't truly know the deepest meaning of all of these songs, but I feel like every time I listen, like it's like a roller coaster. I'm just going through the different melodic intervals and taking away different things. Um, love that one. I really love Glamour Profession. It feels kind of like I'm in a like a pink panther movie does that make sense yes, like yes, i'll walk down the street sometimes and i'm just like oh yeah like it really does <laughs> feel like you're you're like the lead in like a 1960s like sleuth film i love that um man i'm on the spot i love asia of course um peg is really good honestly yeah man um hey 19 really good dirty work uh wow there's just so many and then like I, I actually love and i'm curious to see like what kind of scoop because i feel like i'm treating this also as like a learning process since you know so much about steely dan um their album that had the fez and don't take me alive to me that sounds very 
like a, a bit of a shift towards more of like a rock centric, like hard rock centric album. Like, what's the backstory behind why that album kind of lends more towards that? I don't want to use the term grungy, but like more rock oriented sound. Yeah, it was the it was kind of like their guitar album, right? I mean, there's yeah. a lot of guitar heavy songs. I mean, I think the funny thing is they they started out as sort of a rock band, like they were sort of a tighter unit. They had you know band members, right? So it was Skunk Baxter on guitar, it was Denny Diaz on guitar, it was Jim Hodder on drums, and they were like like any other band. It was it was a five piece, and they all sort of had. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think Donald and Walter wrote all the songs, and and you know, sort of dictated how things went in terms of um, arrangements and things in the studio. But I think the other guys had more of more input, um, but they, they played as a band and, you know, in the early days they were actually playing out live a lot. Hmm. Um, you know, they were touring and um, they had sort of that rock band aesthetic, you know, um, yeah. and the rock band ethic, if you will. But then I think they realized over time that, you know, some of the songs they wanted to do were a little bit more complex and um, just needed, sort of specialist attention, right? So they started bringing in studio musicians to do solos and play, you know, extra parts. And, you know, um, Walter and Donald is, is fantastic musicians as they both are in terms of playing instruments. They, they were very like, well, I can't play as well as so-and-so. So if he can play this part better than I can, then why not him do it, right? I don't care yeah. if I don't play on my own record, right? Which is kind of funny. <laughs> um so they kind of started going in this direction of of using studio guys, right? So all the way through yeah. the first two albums, it was it was the band Pretzel Logic. They started to bring in some some outside people. Um, they largely replaced Jim Hodder on drums with Jim Gordon, who was a you know well known studio bass. Um, and then going into Katie Lie, they really started to lean harder on the jazz stuff, and then it was a little more atmospheric and less yeah. rock focused. And really with. Katie Lie does much just really throwing that out. I don't know why. Yeah, I have that CD, but it was not my yeah favorite. A lot of people have a hard time with that album. I think in terms of you know it just doesn't connect for them for some reason. It's funny that was one of the first albums that that I fell in love with the album. Really, Steely Dan. Yeah, wow. Um, and I still love it. It's still one of my favorites. Um, After revisited, I guess. I mean, do you like it as a cohesive album, or are there just tracks on there that stand out more to you than? I like it as a cohesive album. I think Dr. Wu is one of my favorite Steely Dan songs ever. Um, again, epic, fantastic um, sax solo, and it just tells a great story. Mm-hmm. Um, probably about drugs. <laughs> I mean, definitely yeah. about drugs, like, yeah. like so many of their songs. Um, and then, you know, after that, I think, um, you know, they kind of got lukewarm reception from the music critics and the press and everything else. And then I think they just said, all right, well, let's just try something different. So by the time Royal Scam came around, mm-hmm. it feels like, you know, they just sort of went off in a different direction. So they brought in, it was the first, I don't know, was it the first time they used um, Chuck Rainey on bass, but I'm pretty sure that was the first Bernard Purdy session. So you've got these these two fantastic R&B musicians that played on everything in the 60s and, and 70s, right? And they, they brought them in to do a lot of the, the rhythm section work. So um, you get this just top-notch groove in so many of these songs on Royal Scam. Um, you get Larry Carlton coming in and playing guitar um, on Don't Take Me Alive and Kit Charlemagne. So, and he was a jazz guy, but he definitely has a harder edge on this album. So it's like, 
they started to blend that that jazz. I don't want to say fusion because you know I think yeah, that's that term, I, I don't currently in an elevator. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but I think that's where this whole thing kind of started, and it's it's just a dark album, you know. I mean, like yeah. all the different songs, and and um, I mean, I keep saying that about a lot of albums. I was just talking <laughs> about Gaucho. Uh, you know, a couple of days ago, and then telling somebody it's like it's their darkest album, but you know, Royal Scams right up there. And I think yeah, it feels was, super super dark to me. <laughs> yeah, well, it was you know post Vietnam, right? It was the the mid to late seventies were coming in. It came out I think seventy six, right? So um, I think they were just very disillusioned with with the world and and with America and the American dream and all that. So I think those songs really kind of paint that picture. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean. I, I definitely need to dig into more of the tracks on that album because I feel like I primarily will listen to The Fez and Don't Take Me Alive. But yeah, I, I, it does feel notably heavier than their others. So yeah. And then what's like an underrated Dan album you would recommend to someone who needs to further dig into into their work? Oh, wow. Um, I think I think Gaucho gets a lot of un- unnecessary hate, and I think the reason why is because it's it's so different from Glamour Professionals on Gaucho, before. right? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Why, yeah. Why and Babylon Sisters, I think as well. Why don't people like that album? I think it's because it it you know Walter was not maybe as involved as he had been, and it was recorded under a lot of stressful conditions and. Um, People find it to be sterile where, you know, Asia is just this spacious, gorgeous, mm-hmm. ethereal album all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Gaucho went into this like sort of bubble, right, of, of its own. And I think the production's a little bit different. Um, everything's super tight, super clean. They, they Would you say it's poppier almost? Like a little, it's a little poppy in a way, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Hate 19 is, you know, one of my least favorite Steely Dan songs and only because I've heard it so many times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's too. Supermarket. Uh, yeah. For me, that's like Ricky, Ricky Don't Lose. Uh, or sorry. Yeah. Why am I in my brain? It's like, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah, there are definitely gotcha. songs where you're like, yeah, can't do this because it plays so regularly or commercial. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was poppy and I think, um, you know, uh, songs like Glamour Profession and Time Out of yeah. Mind, like they're, they're so Time Out of Mind is so good. And, yeah. Oh, it's so I good. like that one a lot. Yeah. I think the, the, I mean, like, like a lot of people, the, the bridge in that song is just one of my favorite pieces of music ever written. It's just yeah. crazy. Yeah. Their, their, their middle eight sections or their bridges, cause they're, they go so longer, so much longer than eight bars a lot of times. Um, could be songs like in and of themselves some of them like they just go off on these like musical tangents that kind of like you know could be their own piece of music it's it's yeah it's so great. yeah um but i don't know i mean i think a lot of people just don't like gaucho because it just doesn't really sound like all the other steely dance stuff that came right before it you know but mm-hmm. i love it it's one of my favorite albums by them yeah i also love the cover art of that album as well um i'm a big like cover art fan and a design fan and it's just yeah i think it's a really really pretty cover as well yeah it's great i would love to go see that it's from a painting that's somewhere on a wall in like oh. or something in argentina yeah oh i didn't know that wow okay huh yeah no it's it's really quite nice yeah it's so. great yeah definitely um i guess with are there any like albums where you just like were you personally or like i do not like this album I, I don't i would not like <laughs> just throw it out of the discography just throw it away 
Well, if I had to throw out one, it would be two against nature. I'm, I'm going to get a lot of hate from the, the Sealy Banners for saying that. Um, I'm a ride or die when it comes to, to a lot of bands, but with other bands, there are albums that I just don't like and I won't listen to that much. And maybe there's yeah. one or two good songs on it and I just sort of discount the rest. And, you know, Steely Dan's discography is so small, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there's the seven original albums, there's the two reunion albums, and that's it. And, you know, yeah. there's never going to be another Steely Dan album, obviously. So, like, that's all we have to work with. So, I, I try to give the, the the two albums that came out after the reunion a, a lot more love than I used to, but I still just don't intentionally put them on to listen to sometimes. Like, I'll have to make myself listen to some of the yeah. songs on there. Be able to, yeah, get through them. Got it. Yep. One sec. Sure. Sorry, I I think I mentioned at the start, I'm like feeling a little like sick, (laughs) but I'm okay. (laughs) All right. As long as you're okay to keep going. Yeah, I'm good. Good. Okay. So yeah, um, the other Steely Dan song that I would recommend since since you started to dig dip your toe into Royal Scam is yeah. my one of my favorite Steely Dan songs, and those change like you know every week. But right now is Green Earrings. Uh, yeah, Green. Just, yeah, Green Earrings. Yeah. I, I've delved into some of the the tracks. Yeah, or Green yeah. Earrings is a song. Jesus is yeah, sweet. It's, yeah. It's one of the songs on Royal Scam. Yeah, I would. Rem- like cheating right now this is probably the most embarrassing steely dan interview ever <laughs> um this is like the the amateur hour uh version here because okay i'm on yeah okay yes the one i really don't know on here is everything you did don't know that sign in stranger don't know you know kid charlamagne and don't take me live Fez. i've heard green earrings haitian divorce yes in royal scan Silent Stranger and Everything You Did, definitely cue those up next because okay. fantastic song. Silent Stranger is just another great song. Um, the the piano playing on that, it's Paul Griffin. He's he's fantastic. And Everything You Did is just, you know, I, I love that just in, as many people do for the line, turn up the eagles, the neighbors are listening. <laughs> <laughs> Which apparently was, you know, Walter wrote that because I guess, you know, they were having an argument and, and his girlfriend was playing the eagles and <laughs> you know. yeah. 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 Pretty funny. Huh. Yeah. It's a lot of gems. And to people uh with the lyrics because they're so complex, I- I've gone online and I feel like I've found like a wiki where people try to kind of dissect what the lyrics mean. Do you feel like Steely Dan songs have definitive meanings that they wrote with a specific intention in mind, or do you feel like they're kind of ambiguous and can mean different things? I think it's a blend of both. I think there were yeah. definitely songs that were written for specific situations or, you know, with, with specific events or incidents. Um, but I think there's a lot that's just really, um, you know, the, they, they wrote the words to kind of fit the music, right? I feel like they always mm-hmm. started with the music first and sort of had it lyrics later. Um, plus, yeah. you know, a lot of times from just from reading interviews with with the two of them from over the years, they said that a lot of times, you know, Donald would come in with with lyrics half written and Walter would finish them or, you know, Walter would have a line, but, you know, Donald would suggest a different word for the last word of, of the line and they would change it, right? So I feel like mm-hmm. there's so much collaborative stuff going on that it wasn't just one person's point of view all the time. Yeah, um, yeah. But if you listen to them talk about, you know, 
trying to uncover the meanings that they give you nothing, you know, like a lot of times they'll just say like, it's, it's up to the listener. It's like, you know, we don't, we don't want to tell you what to think, like, you know, make your own conclusions from, from what you hear, you know? Yeah. Got it. No, that's, that's positive though. Cause I feel like there are sometimes there are artists who specifically want their vision of whatever the music was uh, written as originally to be translated to the listeners. And I think sometimes yeah. like they don't give listeners freedom, but that's cool that they're, they're open to letting people interpret the work in their own ways. Yeah, definitely. For sure. All right. Well, anything else you wanted to cover? I know we're uh, getting to about 48 minutes and no, I like to keep these under an hour, but yeah. if there's another topic, we can no, definitely think, keep. Yeah. I'm sorry for just being a little off kilter today. I like was a bit sick and uh, I think I did not prepare well enough, but I appreciate no, not having you. spoken with great. you. I feel so bad. <laughs> um, no, I, I love, I feel like this has inspired me to dig deeper into the Dan and also just like music from that time period in general. I, I need to check out those songs that you mentioned on that playlist. So please send them my way, the, the different bands. I will. Yeah. yeah Otherwise, no, I'm grateful for being on the podcast and uh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on and you've been great. Um, thank you.